When the sun rises, I wake up and chase my dreams. I won't regret when the sun sets, cause I live my life like I'm a beast. What up? You're listening to the Lifestyle Practice Podcast. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening in with us today at the Lifestyle Practice Podcast. You've got me, Steve Vandegraaff, this week, and we are going to be continuing what we've been doing for the last few episodes in speaking with some of the dentists that we've been able to work with in coaching and pick their brains and learn the best practices from some of the very successful doctors that we've had the privilege of working with at the Lifestyle Practice. And today, I'm excited to talk with Dr. Chris Eline, who is a GP practicing in Pennsylvania. Chris, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Hey, Steve. I'm great. Doing well. How about you? Doing awesome. I'm excited to talk with you. Chris and I, we've worked together for the last six months. And I I thought after the first couple phone conversations we had that this is a guy that I think would be really cool to to have on the podcast and to share. So I've kind of been waiting for this for a while and I appreciate you coming on. That's nice of you. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll let you kind of give you a little background on yourself, but I'll just let everyone know. Chris, Chris acquired a, a practice a little over a year now. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. And while he was doing well before purchasing his practice as an associate, he's really been able to take things to the next level in a pretty short amount of time. So I'm excited for him to share his story and some of the lessons that he's learned and to start, Chris, would you mind just going ahead and taking a few moments, give a little introduction about yourself, your background, and and even how you became to be a dentist? Yeah, definitely. So I was born and raised in Maryland. I went to University of Maryland's dental school, graduating in 2014. Actually, in undergrad, I was on track to become a physical therapist. <laughs> but junior year of undergrad, they made a shadow in different settings, and they kind of didn't give us an option. They put us in a, in a setting to shadow. And I got put in this hospital setting for physical therapy. And it was not my idea of what it would, the, the job would actually be. <laughs> Essentially, we had to get the elderly patients to, to walk to the door, touch the door, and then get back in bed. And <laughs> they were not super thrilled about doing that. So within about two week time period, I decided I didn't want to become a physical therapist anymore, uh, <laughs> which was not great timing considering I was finishing up my junior year of undergrad. So my advisor at the time was was a cool guy. He uh, had a buddy that was a dentist that worked down the street from my undergrad and suggested I went over there and shadowed that guy for a day. And within the first hour, I got to see him extract a few teeth and, and do a crown and stuff like that. And, and I actually was kind of hooked at that point. So I completely pivoted what I was going to do within a year and then fortunately got into to dental school from undergrad. Did you do any sports in college? Yeah, yeah. So I played lacrosse in college. Yeah, that's awesome. So it was fun. It was, good. it was a good time. That's how I ended up in good old Erie, Pennsylvania. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. The weather up there was, that's a real winter. I was not familiar with that because they bring you to the school when it's spring. <laughs> it's nice and warm and sunny. But the winters there were, with lake effect snow was was definitely something else. Yeah. Yeah. You don't play lacrosse in the snow, do you? We did up there. <laughs> oh, wow. Nice. We'd like shovel the field and go out and practice. You get a whole different definition for your tolerance for cold after doing that for, for winter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's cool. You kind of navigated through a couple options. Physical therapy, is, I think, is great, but I think dentistry is a sweet spot for sure. So 
you got into dental school and then while you were in there, while you were a student, did you kind of develop a plan or a roadmap as to what you wanted to do when you graduated or how did you decide what to do after dental school? To be completely honest with you, I really didn't have a plan per se. I think I was just like most people trying to get through all the exams and and requirements to graduate. I did know that even before going into school that I wanted to be an owner. I think a big allure to the profession in general for me was uh, the freedom that it can provide and, you know, having a better work-life balance. I had family friends and stuff that were physicians that they're working a lot of hours on call and stuff like that and wasn't super appealing to me. I like to work hard, but at the same time, I'm a little bit lazy, I think, at heart. So (laughs) that kind of lifestyle wasn't really appealing to me. When I got towards graduation, I was kind of tired of the school structure thing. I felt prepared, so I decided that I wanted to to just go straight out into private practice, not knocking on residencies. I think they can be great, AGDs and GPRs, but you have to find the right one. And, And for me at the time, I was more ready to kind of get into practice. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that GPR residency question is has a different correct answer for each different person. I kind of was in the same boat as you, kind of wanted to jump out into private practice and and felt dental school was sufficient to get me there. What did you do right out of dental school? You associated, right? Yeah. So I was fortunate enough to get a job before graduating. So I didn't have to really stress about that. I was able to kind of relax right after graduation. So I <laughs> went into practice a private practice. It was um, originally three docs, including me, but one of the docs left the practice. So there was just me and the, the owner. And I was there for, I guess, five years. Yeah. So 14 to 19. And then after, after that time, you made the decision to kind of jump in, become an owner, even though you were doing well as an associate. So how did you decide the time was right? I made up this arbitrary number when I was interviewing with people after school. I was like five years. For whatever reason, I just picked five years. I thought that that would be an adequate amount of time to get enough speed and business knowledge to to feel comfortable going out and, and purchasing my first practice. In actuality, it was probably more like two years I started to feel ready. I just kind of wasn't thinking proactively. So once I got to that two-year mark, I was like, oh, I should start thinking about a practice. It did take a little bit of time to become educated and find the right practice to purchase. So that's how the time frame kind of worked out for me. Yeah, that's great. And how did you find the practice you ended up buying? How did you know it was the right one? I think a big thing for me was the practice that I was an associate in. I was working like 40 hours a week. And to be completely honest with you, the amount of patient flow that I had, I probably could have done the same production in like 20 hours. So a big thing for me was trying to find a practice that fit more of that kind of lifestyle. You know, I didn't want to be one of the dentists that was working 40, 50 hours a week. So that was one of the kind of things that I started to think about when I started looking at practices. I guess the general demographics I was looking for were solo GP practice, five to eight chairs, was collecting or had the ability to collect around a million a week on that 36 hours or under. I think a big thing for me was we, my wife and I had decided to live basically right where my associate practice was. So my non-compete knocked me out of a lot of options for, I think, like three years. One of the other things that had to go into the categories when choosing what practice to buy was commute because I have to essentially, my commute now is is 40 minutes, which I'm fine with because it's an easy commute. But that had to play a role as well when deciding what to buy. Yeah, so... You ended up purchasing 
I think last summer, right? Yeah, I think it. What was it? It was yeah, June nineteen is is when it actually went through. <laughs> yeah, it went through. Now, Chris, I've really enjoyed some of the hilarious stories that you've kind of shared with me about the dynamic that you had with selling doctor. And I'm not asking you to share anything on the open ways that you're uncomfortable with. But when you purchased the practice, basically, you found some things that were not totally seemed as they were when you were first investigating the practice. Is it correct to say that? Yes. So (laughs) basically, anything you can think of that could happen during a deal or after a deal between the seller and the buyer Probably happened to me, (laughs) to say the least. There was a lot of things. It was a challenge. I think, I mean, first off, the reason why I was kind of snickering when I said the deal finally went through was it took about a year to get that deal to go through. And in the middle of it, there was like a two-month time frame where I couldn't get in contact with the seller. So I didn't even know what was going on. It made it interesting. (laughs) I think there were certain things that were misrepresented that came up. To be honest with you, most people would consider a lot of those to be red flags that would make someone not go through with a deal or, or try to change it and restructure it. I think the reason why I, I, I kept going and, and kept working through it was I knew the financials were solid. Cash flow was great. And, and all of those things were hard numbers that were proven to be correct. So for me, it was a lot easier to play the long game and keep the goal in mind and it was more willing to work through things. Because I knew at some point, once I got through everything, it would be worth it. And it has been, but it was certainly a very colorful road that we went down. <laughs> very, very well put. Yeah, that's funny. And I appreciate you sharing that because, I mean, there's a lot of great transition stories where you have this awesome selling doctor that is just like on your team and and wants to just wants you to have success and can come in and help whenever needed or mentor or and those are awesome stories and I think when people look for practices that's a really helpful thing to have but I think there's also a lot of kind of real life transition stories kind of like yours where there's some bumps in the road or maybe some red flags I mean I, I think I've shared kind of my transition story too there were some some, I guess you could call them red flags in my practice where the the numbers had like changed from year to year or the, the reviews on the selling doctor definitely weren't very favorable. And his maybe philosophy of treatment was different than mine or, or maybe the culture of the practice and changing staff. But I, I just think it's really cool that you kind of took a real life example with all of its hiccups and and difficulties and you kind of pushed right through it and i mean i'm not saying it was easy but you really just kind of made things work really really well would you say yeah i mean it it definitely was a challenge i mean to be completely honest with you like it did create more stress and stuff like that but i guess the one positive thing that came out of it is is i have a completely kind of restructure or reframed outlook on worrying about the things you can control i mean you could stay up all night long worrying about things that are completely out of your control and for there was a period of time that it was challenging not to let it bother me but at some point (laughs) dealing with thing after thing you know you get to the point where you realize i'm to do what's right and and the best thing that i can do and not going to worry about the uncontrollable factors yeah that's that's a good lesson i think you have to intentionally choose to do that too because i mean the default is going to be to stress and worry about problems but you have to kind of mentally decide this is out of my hands so i'm not going to let it take my energy i'm going to focus on what i can so that's that's a great lesson there 
no, it definitely took some work to get there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no doubt. How was the transition from being uh, an associate to all of a sudden becoming the boss with all the many hats you had to wear? I mean, yeah, it's, it was a whirlwind. I mean, the hats hats example, you know, you hear people talk about it and it, it's a real thing. It was good that I had the clinical proficiency and speed and stuff like that. So I didn't have to worry about that aspect. You know, I felt comfortable talking to patients and discussing treatment, providing care. So that wasn't the main thing. It was all of the other things. You start day one, now you become the repairman, the IT guy, you become the manager, <laughs> the counselor, on top of meeting all new patients. The counselor. Have you ever become the plumber yet? So yeah, we had a plumbing issue this week. Well, I actually didn't become the plumber. I had somebody come out, but I realized there was a plumbing issue. I fixed small plumbing issues, but I am by no means fluent in that kind of stuff. But yeah, you you know you walk in in the morning and and you turn things on, and, and sometimes things aren't working right, or, or you get an air leak, and you're like, oh okay. And there's no other option. You can't wait for the repair guy to come when you got patients in ten minutes. So I would recommend anyone that buys a practice buy a very large tool set. So that you can at least try to fix things that come up. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's great. And to have a, and a, just a list of, I mean, we have a list up front, like outdoor problem. This is the phone number. Indoor problem. This is the phone number. IT guy. Yeah. But there's all these little things that come up that you never really expect or, or that you can really plan for that just kind of make it an exciting time. But despite the difficulty of transitioning to having all these extra roles, you were, I would say, like immediately successful. Chris, you don't need to share your numbers, but are you comfortable maybe comparing your income as an associate to the first year of ownership? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's been an interesting first year, obviously, with, with everything going on in the world. But I mean, roughly, we're looking at four times what I was making as an associate on, I guess, I'm working 32 clinical hours and I was working 44 clinical hours, I believe, or 42 clinical hours at my associateship job. So it can be very rewarding financially compared to what the, the associate job was providing. For listeners out there, I mean, that should be so motivating if you even have an inkling or a desire to, to become an owner you haven't yet. I mean, I think it just highlights the potential. You can do that much more. And I mean, Chris, you did it working more than a day less hours wise. So congrats. That's super awesome. No, thank you. I mean, it, it's good because, I mean, we all know what the, the student loan burden is nowadays is, is much more intense than what it used to be. So it's for me personally, doing the associateship thing and then trying to pay off student loans and maybe get a house and things like that. I mean, it's not feasible to do all that um, in a short period of time, at least. So it's been a big change and makes things much less stressful and much more freedom, which has been fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, the extra stress from becoming an owner and having more hats and from maybe the the loan of buying a practice, those could be seen as more stress, less freedom. But all the success you've had is is basically giving you a lot more freedom of time and of finances and, and future opportunities. So yeah, great example. This success you've been able to to reach pretty quickly too. You've done it despite owning a practice that I would probably describe as in a lower fee environment. How would you say, Chris, you've been successful despite most of your patients coming from PPO or government insurance where this isn't like a fee-for-service environment where you can kind of charge whatever you want and patients will just pay your fee, but you've had this insurance burden to work around, I guess. How how have you kind of managed that? 
Yeah. So most of our patients, I mean, I'd say at least probably at this point, 60% are state insurance. And then you're looking at, you know, probably 30% PPO. And then we do get a decent amount of, I mean, for me, decent amount of fee for service around probably 10%, just because I think our fee structure is a little bit more favorable than other people comparably in the area. So for us, the big thing is, I mean, there's always going to be the dynamic between fees versus volume. So obviously lower fees, you need more volume, higher fees, less volume. For me, volume's the, the name of the game. So we have to do in order to kind of make ends meet there is delegation and systems. Delegation for me is like a huge thing. Luckily, a lot of my staff members were already trained in that area. So in Pennsylvania, we're allowed to have expanded function dental assistants. So they can do more than the normal average assistant can with regards to placing fillings and coronal polishing and things like that. So I have two EFTAs in my practice and they're fantastic. They do great work utilizing them to the maximum of what their scope of practice is in Pennsylvania has been a big game changer for us. The other thing is with regards to systems, everything needs a system, especially when you're seeing the volume of people that we see in a day. I mean, systems are going to allow us to cut down on stress and, and make things way more efficient. So we've narrowed things down to the biggest procedures in the practice essentially are going to be usually oral surgery, removable, basic restorative. We put a lot of time into increasing efficiencies here and making uh, appointments more predictable and quicker, while at the same time providing great quality care because you don't want patients coming back and having to redo things. That's going to destroy the profitability and also the trust with the patients. So the model isn't necessarily for everybody, but it's a good model. I mean, any model is going to have its its pros and its cons. We've found a way to to make it work for us. So it's, it's been great, just definitely with working on efficiencies and delegation are big for us. Yeah, I know we've talked a lot about efficiency and systems over the last six months. And I think you're too humble to say it, but I think of you as kind of a, a clinical machine when I <laughs> when we first when we first started and I asked you to like send me the next two weeks of your daily schedule, I was like, is this a one doctor practice? <laughs> is this right? It's cool because I like to work. I like to work like that. I like the, the high speed, the high intensity, like it gets me excited and the days go really, really fast. So basically we have two hygienists in the practice, which might not be normal for my practice model compared to what other people usually do, but there's such a demand for cleanings and I am not a huge fan of doing cleanings. So having the two hygienists has been, been a godsend with the three other chairs because we're five total chairs. I'll bounce between all three of those it took a few months to figure out the flow and how it would work. So people weren't super stressed and I wasn't stressed. But basically, main chair is going to be bigger procedures. We're booking at least an hour appointment for that. If we're doing full mouth extractions and immediate dentures and stuff like that, we'll book out more time. But usually we keep first column to an hour. The second column is going to usually run around 40 minutes for basic restorative. And then third column is going to be like 30 minute appointments for deliveries and emergencies and things like that. My staff's fantastic. Like the team members are awesome at seeing things that we can change or add in things, take things out. We all have a pretty good beat on how everyone can move and function. So they're fantastic when it comes to to being efficient and productive. Yeah, great thoughts there. I'm a little jealous of your expanded function and assistance placing fillings. But for people out there that you want to increase your collections by doing more if raising your fees isn't a real possibility, I think some of those things that Chris just mentioned are really good things to go back and listen to. 
really established systems, very intentional scheduling, prioritizing higher value procedures in one chair, and then going to a second and third with a plan for each. Those are, I think, really, really good examples. I think you've been really clear in how you've kind of led your team to build that the way you have. So I think that's awesome. What has been one of the greatest challenges, would you say, of of your last year? I've read quite a bit about dental practices and access to information now with podcasts and things fantastic. And the one common thing I would always hear was staffing issues, team issues are always the the biggest kind of headache and challenge. And I 100% completely agree with that. I don't think there's any way around that. (laughs) And I have a great team. But when you get a bunch of people together in a tight environment that it gets stressful from time to time, I mean, things are going to come up. People are people and everyone's different. And sometimes people aren't going to get along. And I have currently nine team members. It's a lot of people in a 1800 square foot practice. So things do come up. We handle it, but (laughs) it's definitely the biggest challenge that I kind of have experienced over the past year. Yeah, that sounds like a pretty cozy environment. Yes, it is. (laughs) And I can can sympathize with you on that one. But oddly enough, even though you say that, Chris, one of the things that has really impressed me most about you is how, I would say, how assertive you are as leaders with with your team. I remember in one of our calls a couple months ago, you shared, just like as a side note, that you had an assistant that wasn't really cutting it. So you pulled her aside, you talked about it. She couldn't improve, so you let her go and had a new person in there, like all within the same week. (laughs) And I was just really impressed because I think correcting staff, certainly firing and hiring new staff is something that is difficult for a lot of dentists, but you really didn't shy away from that leadership role and those tasks. Is this something you would say is natural for you or have you kind of developed this skill over time? I'd say that for me, it's not supernatural. I think my leadership style from day one has always been by example, which I think is really important when you're working with the team. But when you are an owner, you can't just do that. There's a lot of talks that you have to have tough conversations and you have to let everyone know that you're leading the ship in a certain direction. So I would say for me, it's not natural to do those other things. I think by example is more of my default. So it's definitely taken cultivation of that for sure. For me, I've kind of developed my own leadership style, I guess you'd say, or or things that allow me to keep a team member on and try to correct versus let go. I think it comes down or easy way to kind of break it down is correctable situations versus situations I can't correct. So if someone's having a hard time and I think that training would help them or having a conversation would help them be better and correct the issues that we're dealing with, I'm 100% on board. Like I don't want to let anybody go. I want everyone to be there. I want everyone to be happy. But when it comes to things that I can't correct, like being rude to patients or just being inherently lazy or having a bad attitude, those are things I can't fix. And I'm much quicker to let somebody go over those things. And that's what happened with the one front desk person that we were dealing with. I heard through the grapevine that she had been rude to somebody like a week before we let her go. And I probably, sh- I mean, I definitely should have had that conversation at that time. For me, it's, it's been a bit of a work in progress getting better at these things. But then a week later, I heard her do it. Like, I think it was like a Thursday. Yeah, it was a Thursday, like halfway through the afternoon. And I heard her be rude to the patient on the phone and kind of engage a patient, which is never, never a good look at all. So I didn't say anything then. I kind of just bit my tongue. And at the end of the day, I did let her go over that just because that's the situation I can't fix. You know, I can't teach you how to not do that. 
and then yeah, we had to get someone in within a week. But I can't have people torpedoing the practice like that. So for me, it's correctable versus like non-correctable issues. That's how I've come to try to lead effectively. For me, just being honest, humble, and genuine with the team when things come up tends to lead to quicker solutions and resolutions and things like that. So that's how I try to to handle it going forward. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a really clear way to look at it. I think if you're trying to figure out, is this a fixable thing or is this a person's a keeper or not a keeper? Those are some really great examples. I'm impressed that the swiftness and like decisive attitude that you had when you're approaching these issues. So that's awesome. Another thing I thought of, Chris, that has really impressed me about you is your morning routine and kind of like your daily schedule. And I don't want to like be too personal, but if you wouldn't mind, I think it could be helpful that listeners kind of hear about as they hear about your success, if they saw like your morning schedule and kind of like your day beginning to end as it is, if you wouldn't mind sharing. Yeah, no, definitely. I'm a huge creature of habit. I probably get on the the higher end of, of being too structured. It's always made sense to me. You know, it's always the way like growing up playing a lot of sports and stuff like that. I found that I would have way more success if I was more regimented and did the same thing over and over again and just got more efficient at things. So typically most days or every day, basically I wake up at 5am, usually heavily caffeinate at that point and then (laughs) get to the gym around six, spend about an hour there exercising. I think it's super important to take care of your body. The play between the mind and the body is going to always be huge. And if you're putting garbage in and not taking care of the body, like you can't expect the mind to run full capacity. So I've always kind of believed in that and it's always been a big thing for me and I just enjoy it, genuinely enjoy exercising. So that's the way I like to start the day because then I feel like I've done something, I've accomplished something positive super early, which is which is always a good feeling. Do you do like lacrosse workouts? I do a little bit of everything to be honest. I used to be like, I would do like one kind of workout and just do it over and over again. But I found as I get older <laughs> that switching it up and doing a lot of different kind of things tends to make my joints not hurt as much. So (laughs) I do a little bit of everything at this point. The next big thing that I've kind of added in over the past two years is is meditation. Sam Harris has a really good app, the waking up app that that allowed me to to make that more of a habit. You feel like you're not doing anything, but after you continuously do it, you find that you get more clarity and it's much easier to work at a higher capacity if if you have more of kind of handle on, on how your brain works and things like that. So I'm a huge fan of that as well. For me, Audible has been a big game changer too. I would say that on my ride to work every day, I always going into work, a big thing for me is listening to something kind of educational or useful, whether it's a podcast or Audible. Audible has been awesome because to get me to sit down and read a book is never been a thing. Thank you, whoever started doing audiobooks, because that's uh, that's been huge for me to kind of expand my knowledge in a bunch of different areas. You always hear the same kind of 10 books that get tossed around between people that are very successful entrepreneurs and stuff like that. And I don't think that that's by accident. I've just kind of taken the, the mentality that reading that kind of stuff, even if it doesn't apply to dentistry, has a lot of value. So that's been huge for me. That's awesome. Yeah. So it's interesting because we, you go to the gym every morning, you're there before six. I mean, that's that's pretty commendable. And then I look at your schedule. I'm like, you're kind of like working out like all day. (laughs) Well, I don't think I could, I don't think I could do what I do like actually at work if I wasn't like physically in shape. Like, I mean, it's not like it's running a marathon or anything, but like if I was overweight and unhealthy and stuff like that, I certainly couldn't move from room to room and, and do 
what I do at a high quality if, if I physically wasn't able to do that. Yeah, no, I agree. It's it's pretty interesting. Just like the physical demands that we have that first year or two out, it's like not an issue. But after several years into it, you know, you start getting kind of the positional stresses and it's, it's just more important to take care of yourself. So that's, it's an awesome routine. You're packing it in during your scheduled day and then outside your work hours, you're still super effective in developing yourself. Yeah. So, I mean, once I get to work, I think a big thing is too, is like I get into work like 45 minutes before we start and I run through the schedule completely and see what I can add or remove to make things work better and flow better. If you do it enough and you keep doing that, you get to this point where you can kind of read the schedule, like the matrix and kind of see you know what you can do to make things work better and, and what this, what the team members can actually do and not be stressed and what they can't do. It makes the day go a whole lot better. If you have, you go in with like purpose and an and idea of, of you know, what you want to do and how you want to do it, you know, opposed to just letting the front desk dictate what the schedule is going to be or let the patients dictate that based upon different factors. So I think it's super important to kind of get in and, and look at that and develop the day how you want the day to be. Very true. Very true. I think it was Bill Blatchford. He's, he said, if you want to earn $100,000 more next year, just be in the office 30 minutes before everyone else and do the exact thing you just said, do it every day for the next year. And, and that will happen, which is I think really, really true. So another question for you, Chris, you've kind of shared with me how just like openness, sharing and learning from others, whether it's like open collaboration or coaching has been helpful in your journey. I think a lot of dentists struggle when they get in a rut of problems and they they don't really break out as they're kind of secluded and working all on their own all the time. What would you kind of share with dentists who find themselves in that position and want to accomplish something similar to what you've done? I think it's a default mode for us to all kind of be on our own island. I don't know if it's the way school developed us. I don't know if it's just being a type A person and not wanting help and things like that. I'm sure part of it's probably kind of more of a scarcity mindset where you feel like you're in competition with every dentist in the area for the same patients. But in my experience, it's not really the case. Like there are plenty of patients out there working in that kind of mindset it's not healthy, like it's not good for you. And it's not realistic anyway. So for me, like a big thing is like trying to reach out now and like network with people and, and hear other people's situations and stories, because we're all really dealing with the same issues. And some people do have better solutions than others. When you get into the environment where you're having problems, it's really easy to kind of get tunnel vision and get that narrow mindset. So having someone that isn't actually physically connected to your practice, that's done this before, kind of like you guys have with the academy or the lifestyle practice, sorry, with, with all the clients you've worked with, you guys have seen everything and you've developed great solutions for all of these problems. And the ability to just cut the learning curve significantly has been huge. I mean, I've always, I kind of knew going in, like there was access to stuff like this and, and I didn't, was not interested in wasting time and efficiencies and, and things like that. And also just increasing my own stress to try to figure everything out when you have access to the people that have done it and done it successfully. I mean, we all can do better. And I think connecting and raising the bar for everyone's great for the profession, great for individuals. So I couldn't support the idea of mentorship and, and coaching any more than I do. Yeah. Great points. Chris, in closing, is there anything that you feel would be helpful to share with Dennis out there that maybe I haven't asked you about yet? I mean, I think the big thing is if you're really thinking about going into practice ownership, you should. I mean, you're already there. You're already thinking about it. You know, there is a lot that you have to figure out and a lot that you have to learn. But 
it's the access to information now and the access to groups like your your group it's very very figure outable <laughs> like it's it's not impossible it's not rocket science you just got to wake up every day and you just got to you just got to make it happen you have to do it so that's the advice that i would give anyone considering practice ownership yeah so go out there and get it <laughs> excellent stuff really appreciate you coming on today and sharing all this chris is open if anybody wants to connect with him I don't know if you're active on Facebook or you can just hit me up and I'll put you guys together to collaborate or to share ideas because that's what we're all about. Hope you enjoyed the pearls today. If you have any questions, reach out Justin, Derek, or Steve at thelifestylepractice.com. And with that, have a blessed week. See ya. Jump without a net, never break a sweat, cause I